BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. All right, all right, all right. I should have grabbed that microphone before I even hopped into the recording studio here, but I went to go take a piss and I realized it was time to start the live stream. So today we have a very, very special guest for you. I'm looking forward to this conversation because it's going to mostly be centered around music and stuff like that. So if you're not subscribed right now, please go hit that subscribe button, like, share, do whatever you're going to do. Check out the links below for all the fantastic supplements you see right there. And as well as right there, the world's best electrolytes, LMNT, and then also where I get all my supplements to get myself all jacked and juicy, tigerfitness.com. And uh, without further ado, let's get into it. Let's go. There. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right, everybody. Andy Coons, it is. How you doing, dude? Pretty good, man. Feeling super fat after that intro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. No, <laughs> like, no, we're going to we're going to fucking pump iron and be super healthy. And I'm just like, ah, I'm huge. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is what it is. You know what they say? You got better leverages that way, you know? Yeah. It's something like that. <laughs> I hear it all the time, man. Like you, you, you got to bulk so that way you get more. You know, you get better lifts. So, like when you bench press, the bar gets closer to your chest quicker. So, like, oh man, you know, I never thought of it that way. Hey, you know what they say: chestnut <laughs> checkers, right? If that's the case, then I'm going to demolish our local gym if I ever get a membership. <laughs> nice, dude. All right. Well, uh, we're already in that logic. I can just stick my gut in the front door and be like, I worked out today and then go home. <laughs> you might be further ahead than some people. You'd be surprised. Um, so give an introduction to yourself. I know I kind of did, uh, a, you know, spoke about music stuff, obviously a little bit in the uh, introduction, but go ahead, uh, introduce yourself and anything uh, anybody should know about you. All right. I am Andy Coons. Uh, the, the vast majority of my audience is on TikTok. I make little political sketches, uh, you know, little comedy sketches and, um, and then I, I, I mean, I make a ton of stuff. I, I write, I, 
uh, do these sketches. I write music. I, you know, trying to start a company. Like there's, I, I've just, I, I do a lot of shit, you know? Mm. Yeah, dude, I totally feel you. Um, I, I kind of keep a lot of irons in the fire, obviously, between like the fitness stuff, the music stuff, much like you, right. and also fix cars for a career. So, um, yeah, I, I always find that the most interesting people tend to be the ones that aren't completely grossed out in one thing or another. Like, I don't know. I, I To me, I love being busy. And yeah. it just, you know, kind of makes life a lot more enjoyable. And then, you know, it definitely makes the moments where I know you're a, I'm a husband and a father. I know it right. makes those moments with your kids and then with your wife um, that much greater whenever you get to finally sit down and spend time with them. Absolutely. Definitely. And, yeah. and it's like, it, I mean, especially when you have those moments, those moments are a lot more impactful too, you know, mm -hmm. because you're paying really close attention to like what your kids are saying. And sometimes they'll just, they'll just say stuff like my oldest, for example, he's autistic and he is uh he's very typically autistic in some areas where he can be super obnoxious you know but there's other areas where you have like an honest conversation with him and he has one of the most unique outlooks on the world that that i've ever heard before and and that's i mean it's it's one of those things that just as a father it just kind of punches you in the face and be like you know he he's a fully fleshed out three-dimensional human being who just happens to be autistic, who happens to have just different wiring than you do, you know, mm -hmm. and he's, he's got his own beliefs, his own feelings and emotions. And it, it's, it's crazy to kind of see inside that world, especially of an autistic kid, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, my wife and I are going to have kids eventually, but like, I, I can't imagine kind of seeing somebody that I raised kind of become an autonomous individual like that because it's like yeah dude that that like came out of my ball sack at one point and all of a sudden <laughs> they're they're like their own thing like this is so fucking right. weird dude <laughs> yeah no I, I i know what you mean because especially when you do have those moments where where your kid just kind of stops being an extension of yourself and you realize that they are their own thing i mean it, the the sooner that you can kind of reach that threshold with your kid the better because some some people you know, it's not till their kids are in their twenties before they're finally like, Oh mm -hmm. shit. Like I don't have control over this person. Like they have to make their own decisions, you know? Um, for, for me, like I, I grew up, uh, extremely religious, you know, buckle of the Bible belt in Kansas. And, uh, I, my dad's a pastor, you know, I grew up in the church. I grew up like behind the scenes in church. Um, and so there was a lot of pressure on me as far as like my, my religious beliefs. And finally, by the time I moved out of my parents' house, I was like, I don't believe in any of this stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I kind of distanced myself from it. But my oldest son, you know, he came up to me and was like, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I was like, that's, that's cool. You know, it, like that's, that's fine. There's nothing. I like, I went through a really long, like sort of militant atheist phase where I was just an asshole to people, you know, and that was, that was, you know, not coincidentally, the, one of the bleakest, most depressing eras of my life, you know, yeah. but my oldest came up to me and he was like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I, you know, I believe in God. And, and I, I don't know if it was maybe somebody who was talking to at school or something like that, but, um, but I was like, that's, that's really cool. You know, cause I, I didn't want to do what everybody in my childhood did to me, which was, push that religion onto me and I never had a choice in the matter. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I, I want him to be able to determine his beliefs for, for himself. And if I've done my job as a father, I've taught him how to be skeptical. I've taught him how to, how to use 
logic and reason and to think through his decisions and stuff like that. And so if he comes up to me and says, I believe in God, then he has come to that determination of his own accord. I did not make that decision for him. And, and maybe that says something about the existence of God or something like that. You know, like if, if, if I can trust this kid to come to a, a, a point in his life like that organically and rationally, you know, maybe it says something about the existence of God. I'm not, I'm not against the idea of being wrong about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and I think it's one of the most difficult things for people to really stomach is the fact that they could be wrong about a lot of this stuff. Because, um, right. you know, I, I see it through both people. I see people who are devout atheists that say, oh, no matter what, there's no such thing as God. And then I see people on the other side who say, oh, well, no, Christ is a person, you know, like th- this this exists for sure. It's like, why can't everybody – and I mean, I'm agnostic and I'm entertaining religion a little bit more than I used to. But mm-hmm. at the same time – I understand the fallibility of myself, my beliefs, and pretty much everything that I know. And I'm open to new data that could tell me that I'm wrong. So, I mean, maybe there will be definitive proof that there is um, that religion, a religion may be correct or that, you know, maybe definitively it's not. But um, I don't know. I think when you get to a dogmatic point in your life, I think that's a really, really bad place to be just because you can you you essentially stop growing and you no longer sure seek out knowledge that I think would potentially help you out. Right. Right on. Yeah. And like, um, well, it's, it's funny that you said dogmatic because I mean, that's, that's sort of that, uh, place that I was in as an atheist was like rigidly adhering to quote unquote atheist morals and atheist values and stuff like that. And, and at the end of the day, you know, it, it, the, the atheist community, whatever you want to call it, is just another word for like this leftist pipeline, you know, because as soon as I like sort of gave up my my belief in God, like it, it was kind of a it was kind of a scary time because I was like, well, shoot, like, what do I believe in? You know, mm-hmm. like, why do I not believe in God? And I wanted to know more about that. And so I started looking up uh, atheist writers and people talking about how they left religion and what, like what it was for them. You know, uh, I got into the thinking atheist, a real hardcore, uh, Seth Andrews. Um, and I actually grew up listening to his radio station, uh, mm-hmm. in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, KXOJ. And that was back when he was a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I really hooked onto that show hard. Um, and, but he's just, he's another, just liberal dude. And then from there, all of his guests are hardcore liberals. And so you start sort of listening to this network of atheists. And all of a sudden, a couple of years later, three or four years later, you are completely engulfed in that ideology, you know, because Mm -hmm. that really scary time, you have that sort of hand that reaches down and grabs you and says, Hey, it's all right. You know, you're not crazy for not believing in God. Like, Here's all the arguments. Here's all the counter arguments here. Why, here's why those counter arguments are bullshit. And they get they feed you all this information, sort of like giving you weapons and armor and stuff like that for the arguments and conversations you're eventually going to have with religious people. But then by doing that, it's sort of like it's sort of like they're presenting themselves as like a mother figure, like somebody who, mm-hmm. who nurtures you and and uh, and takes care of you. And so you you start to form this weird bond with leftist ideology, you know, and other leftists and this sort of like hero worship of the left. And, um, and then, 
uh, after Wire, you just you're just fully bought in, you know, mm-hmm. and and it's it's a streamlined pipeline from atheism straight to like Marxism, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think it just necessarily goes straight to the left, and I don't think you think that either. But um, like this is like the problem with becoming ideologically possessed, as uh, Jordan Peterson might say. Um, is that people really identify like heroes. And I think you see this a lot, and I hate to sound like one of these leftists that you're referring to in particular, but like you see this a lot with Trump where people will refuse to accept his failures and Mm -hmm. just they think that he's coming along to save them. And it is kind of a platitude to say like you have to save yourself. But at the same time, just these people are so gripped by this idea that you know, if we can just elect Trump again, then everything's going to be okay. Or elect DeSantis or elect Gavin Newsom, you know, whoever. And just these ideas always seem so silly to me that you're going to have this one overarching authority, especially in government, no less, that's going to come in and just rain down prosperity upon you. And nothing could be further from the truth. And honestly, I think nothing could be more harmful to um, a large group of people. Yeah. Well, that's how you, that's how you get, radicals you know Mm -hmm. i mean eventually generation after generation after generation of that same sort of like like messianic search for somebody who's gonna finally crush the other side like that's how you get people cutting people's heads off in the street and you know eventually Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. and because you have such a powerful force on one side and then eventually they decide they don't want to be crushed anymore i I think this is kind of what trump represented is that like you had eight years of everybody being misogynistic homophobic racist xenophobic whatever you name it and then you know people just said all right well you know here eat this because (laughs) we need somebody that's going to stand up for us Mm -hmm. and really he he spoke to them for you know to some degree but at the same time i don't think a billionaire um guy is necessarily the uh, new york democrat no less it should be the uh spokesman for the working man but mm-hmm. he just so happened to um say the right things and embolden some of their ideas politically that right. gave him a voice amongst those kind of people right. but i mean you see this with uh somebody like bernie sanders on the left where you know it's the same deal oh you know i i'm i'm all for the socialists I'm the democratic socialists but then you know he has three houses and then is going on a book tour making all this money and probably selling tickets you know scalping mm-hmm. people essentially I mean, it just goes to show that if you share your wealth hard enough, you can have three here houses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, you know, the, uh, the um, what the hell was it? The activists from Black Lives Matter, they were all, you know, devout Marxists, but then they got multiple. Really, they called themselves like, like classically trained Marxists. Yeah, it was something yeah. like that. Yeah, they use some weird terminology like that, like trained. <laughs> what do mm-hmm. you mean? <laughs> yeah. You read a book. So- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, some people would probably say that. Um, so you and I kind of honed in on the fact that I said dogma earlier, and, and this is something that I think you and I probably share in common, um, a love of heavy music. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so with the love of heavy music, um, for most people, if not all, comes a very, very big dogma where everything outside of your niche of heavy metal sucks. And mm-hmm. you just want people to listen to Pantera, Parkway Drive, insert your metal here. And if they don't, then they're fucking pussies and they're losers because they don't adopt. Which your, they are, um, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, don't, they don't adopt your you know, specific yeah. musical dogma. So um, did you kind of have like a uh, experience with that? Because I know I definitely did. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, like definitely like there's some people who are so hardcore into Viking metal 
Mm-hmm. And I, I just think, I think 95% of it's terrible. You know, so like a monomarth, I, I can listen to a monomarth and like yeah. drink a beer and, you know, like have fun with it. But man, so much of the other, every other Viking band just sounds like a monomarth, like a monomarth ripoff. And so I'm mm-hmm. like, just let the originals do it. Like with the theatrics and stuff like that. Everybody else just leave it alone. Like that is a one band genre of Viking metal, you know, <laughs> and anyway, but the, but like you, if you talk to, if you talk to my wife, we have like the Venn diagram of our musical taste, the sliver in the middle is a sliver, you know, <laughs> like there's so much of the music that she listens to that I just think is trash. And like, I, I know this, this is like my part of, of being like an asshole artist type person yeah. to where I'm like, I know like i know what's good and if i if you just listen to it in the right way that i want you to then you'll understand how good it is and you'll leave all that terrible music behind and come just listen to the same shit that i listen to like that's deep inside my head you know yeah but like i and i i know that's the asshole artist part of me right i just can't i can't just let somebody else enjoy something that i that's different than my shit you know Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, I I completely feel you because my wife is pretty much the same way. Um, actually, for our first Christmas together, I think I got her tickets to go see Kelly Clarkson, who's like her favorite artist. But now, you know, like almost five years later, here it's like Mikasa Sukasa. We're going to go see Lamb of God and Pantera, and then yeah. Pantera and Metallica out in New Jersey. But so, let, uh, let me ask you this: Can you name me one like honest to God good Kelly Clarkson song? No. I, I, there's, there's got to be one that's the, like the least shitty. I, I, I just don't know any songs. Okay. The top of my <laughs> I was gonna say because like because like my wife and I we've been together for 13 years, going on 14 mm. in September, and like my musical taste now is wildly different than when we met, and it's because of her mm. influence, you know. Mm. And so like some like there's a lot more like softer music that I listen to now that I would have never gotten into if it wasn't for her, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's like I I bitch and complain, but uh at at the end of the day like she's had a ton of influence on my musical taste you know mm-hmm. even though i don't yeah it. <laughs> <laughs> no dude i don't blame you um one thing that was kind of interesting for me was like uh i remember i used to hate dillinger escape plan and then killer be killed came out are you familiar with killer be killed uh the only album of theirs that i really got into was one of us is the killer Okay. Oh, well, you're thinking of Dillinger Escape Plan. That was uh, their um, second to most recent release, and they broke up after that. But Wait, um, what band did you say? Killer Be Killed. Oh, I thought. Okay. I completely <laughs> misunderstood. My bad. <laughs> oh, no, I do. That's okay. Um, I so where you said Dillinger Escape Plan before that. I might well, I, I, yeah, I, I hate Dillinger Escape Plan. I used to hate Dillinger Escape Plan, but then mm-hmm. um, Greg Puciato, their singer, went on to form Killer Be Killed with Max Cavalera oh, I see. and uh, Troy Sanders. And then that's kind of what I listened to that. And then it got me into Dillinger Escape Plan. And then from Dillinger mm-hmm. Escape Plan, um, Greg Puciato, their singer, also had a side project called um, The Black Queen. And it was like all electronic. And I'm like, wow, this is like really good. So I don't know if there's any artists off the top of your head. Just you saying that kind of reminded me of how sometimes you can listen to an artist do one thing and then them do another thing. And it just completely opens you up to that genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, like sometimes it takes uh, a band. 
like that I just never pay attention to, to just either have that one album or that one song where it just hits the right way. Mm-hmm. And like you, you, you see the artistry in it and you're like, oh, okay, so they are good. And then you check out the rest of their stuff and you're like, oh shit, they're like really good. Yeah. You know, like fallout boy was one of those for me, you know, mm-hmm. um, fallout boy, uh, good Charlotte's another one. Good Charlotte's a really good band, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they, they do have a lot of their sort of like radio poppy hits, but like they've right. got a really good discography. Um, uh, bands like Finch. Uh, mm-hmm. Finch is incredible. Um, and, but yeah, all kinds okay. of bands. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I, I know like uh, Fallout Boy, they also did something with some of the guys from Anthrax called, um, oh, uh, I know you're talking about, I can't, remember, I can't remember what they called it. Oh my wait, god. Wait, 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 wait. Uh it okay, so the drummer from Fallout Boy and then the guitarist from Anthrax, and I think mm-hmm. it's also Keith Buckley from Every Time I Die, right? Yes. Yeah, it's the damned something. The damned things or something like that. I, think it's, yeah, I, I it's feel like, like that's things. incorrect. Yeah, but the I remember I listened to things. Yeah, I listened to that first album. I haven't listened to the second one. I, I they might even have a third at this point. But uh, I remember listening to that. I'm like, wow, yeah, this shit's actually pretty fucking good. And then even mm-hmm. like some of the riffs that you hear from Fall Out Boy, I'm like, man, some of the, like older shit that came out probably when you and I were in like high school and middle school. Some of the shit was actually pretty fucking good. And like the songwriting on it's fucking solid. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I like have a huge appreciation for. Um, guitarists who don't necessarily play like Inve Malmsteen, but they're like masterful songwriters. Like that to me is an art that I can't necessarily fathom by myself. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that's what, that's what I've always tried to like focus on with my songwriting is like the, the songwriting, you know, cause you can write a beautiful song and it's not hard to play, you know, right. all, all the songs off, all the songs off of God Emperor are, like if if like metal guitarist to metal guitarist it these are not difficult songs mm-hmm. you know and and it's because like i like as far as my skill as a guitarist i got myself to a point where i could write the music that i wanted to write and listen to mm-hmm. and then i'm like i'm not a big fan of like solos i'm not a, i'm not a big fan of like of like lots of finger picking and stuff like that i like fucking power chords and breakdowns and mm. and sort of those like low end E string riffs, you know, like that. That's the shit that I like. And so, like, whenever I got to the point where I could do that stuff really well, then I was like, okay, well, there's, I'm not interested in really progressing further, you know. So, like, if I did get like a band started, whoever my guitarist is, he could learn this shit in like a day and a half. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, okay, so I'm actually glad you kind of pivoted over that because I wanted to get there. Um, so. I guess what was your biggest inspiration when it came to heavier music? Um, For me, I just remember getting like Pantera and Metallica when I was a kid and like Slipknot, like uh, I want to say it was volume three subliminal verses, specifically the bonus CD. I remember just playing dead rising and world of Warcraft as a kid and just listen to that CD on repeat and loving every second of it. Okay. So my, mine is kind of a journey. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, so it all started when I was like seven years old and I heard the song Jesus freak from the band DC talk. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar with them, but it's, I, I grew up only on Christian music, you know? And so it was this, it was this Christian like rap pop group that was on the radio, but they were, they were like, they, they were pretty good, you know? And for, and for being like radio Christian music, 
Mm-hmm. Um, they really tried to push boundaries. Like what, like they wrote a bunch of rap songs about like race, you know, and it was two white guys and a black guy and they would write songs about race, you know, and, and sort of these more edgy or controversial topics. Um, but they had, they had one album where they kind of played more into, uh, into grunge cause it was right around, you know, Nirvana, Alice in Chains, all those bands, uh, sort of that boom era. And, uh, they wrote this song called Jesus Freak, and it was the first time I ever heard like distorted guitar, you know, mm-hmm. and it's a driving song. Um, and I heard that and I I couldn't explain what it was at that time. I didn't understand what heavy music was or anything like I mean, uh, imagine hearing like heavy music for the very first time. Like that's the impact mm-hmm. that this song had on me. And it completely I was just like. I could listen to this song on repeat all day long, day after day after day after day. And then from there, I heard the song uh, Unite by the OC Supertones, which is kind of their take on grunge, but they were a ska band. Mm-hmm. And so there's like trombones and shit like that in that song. And then uh, I had those two songs to give me that like heavy uh, thing until I heard Southtown by P.O.D., and that was like that was like a metal song you know yeah and i was like did that dude just scream into the microphone like he didn't even sing he was just screaming and i was like i was like oh my god so i went out and got that cd and listened to that thing until the thing fell apart you know uh it was a huge pod fan for a long time and then from there i got into project 86 and that was more like a new metal uh but still a really heavy you know christian band and then from there it was like uh pillar and uh and eventually like norma jean and the chariot and under oath and and where you're getting into like really really artistically good christian heavy music you know mm-hmm. and then after after i uh dropped out of college and moved out of my parents house like it was that that's when i finally kind of felt safe to just explore music and then you know from there i discovered mastodon and discovered yeah uh just all all kinds of different metal bands you know Mm. but yeah yeah all started from jesus freak holy crap yeah that's a really really interesting journey and by um some of your earlier heavy preferences I can hear in the album, which mm-hmm. is pretty freaking cool. Um, so like, what did you start playing first? Because I, I, I don't know why I just assumed you were a guitarist, but um, it's, it's interesting that you just kind of seemed like, okay, well, you know, I, I know the bare minimum of a guitar. So, um, you know, yeah. this is just what it is. Yeah. Uh, I started out as a drummer mm-hmm. and I played in, a, I played in a few bands in high school Um, when I was 16, that's when I got my first guitar and my, my step grandma, I I was over at, at her and my grandpa's house. And she was like, uh, have you ever wanted to learn how to play guitar? And I was like, yeah. She's like, well, do you want one? I was like, yeah. And one of, uh, one of her kids got a guitar when he was 16 and picked it up twice and never touched it again. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, you know, I've got my son's guitar. He left it here. And do you want it? And I was like, sure. And then it was this, I think it was called a, a series 10 and it was like a, it was like a generic Stratocaster. Um, yeah. and man, I played that thing for years and, and, and it was falling apart by the time I actually, I finally got my Michael Kelly. Mm-hmm. But Okay. 
so then like on your album did you use machine drums or were those you i it, it those sounds are like machine. It, those are machine drums yeah okay i yeah. i uh i'm very poor <laughs> mm-hmm. and so the guitar that i have it's the one i've had since i was 18 um that that's what i recorded the whole album on uh but yeah drums i don't have I don't have $3,000 to spend on like a really good drum set, like a recording mm-hmm. drum set, nor do I have the 10 grand worth of good mics I'd have to buy to like properly mic it up, you know? And mm-hmm. I, and plus I haven't been on a drum set in years. And mm-hmm. so I, I wouldn't be able to play the drums that are on the album, you know, but I did oh. program them. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I, I, the drums and everything sounded fantastic. Like uh, I think people underestimate how good, <laughs> Um, machine drums can actually sound my first time really noticing it was uh when fear factory released their 20 i want to say 2015 album regenerate i think it was called Mm -hmm. and um i remember hearing it and i'm like man like these drums they suck like they didn't sound good at all yeah like over time i've heard more and more machine drums like they've actually come really really far in this technology oh yeah and same deal with like plugins Oh yeah, for sure. Like, like people have no idea how many like rock and metal bands they're listening to right now where the drums aren't real. And there was not a single amp used in the entire recording. Mm-hmm. You know, right. people just don't, they just don't realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the one story I always tell, and this is somewhat relevant to the point, but like my singer, Jen, when she was uh, in the studio recording our first four song EP, um, I just remember the engineer stopping and looking at her and saying, like, I cannot fuck with your voice at all because you're so spot on. And something about that's really, really cool. But I mean, at the same time, it's also really, really cool that you got to do what you did, essentially, and record without having to spend thousands of dollars like we did going to a studio with an engineer and then doing all this shit. You know, you could essentially do it from the comfort of your own home or wherever you record and um, right record here. a full length. In, gar- yeah. in my garage. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, your album sounds absolutely fantastic. And I typically what I'll do with um, music like that we recorded is I'll play it side by side next to other music. Just so that way you can like verify the levels and the mix and right. everything. So it sounds like consistent and yours right. did. And I, that yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the fucking album, dude. It's, it's badass. Well, I dude, I really, really, really appreciate that. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's, uh, this is actually the third full length album that I've recorded, but it's the first one I ever released, you know, wow. and back, back when, uh, right before my wife and I got married, um, I wrote, I wrote a concept album called wretch and another one called totalitarian. And they were, they were, that was back before I became an atheist. And so they, both of these albums were sort of like stories about how I felt about my beliefs and stuff like that. Wrote them into a couple of albums and then just never, just never released it. And it was because I I was way too scared to release it, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I told you this earlier, but like the Marty McFly syndrome where it's like, I can't handle that rejection, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I struggle with that really bad, you know? Um, but then every time there's been like a major change in my life, I've, I've like written an album about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like with this one that like this, this all stemmed from uh, sort of becoming an anarchist, you know? And with this one, I don't know. I, I a little bit older than when I recorded those other records and um just i was like i I have to see this one through like i have to finish it 100 i have to figure out 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Distribution. I like. I have to get this out there because if if I don't do it this time, I'm just it's never going to happen. You know. Yeah. Um. I don't think you should feel like Marty McFly at all because um, I think people who know you and I don't even necessarily mean just you, but just you in this particular case, um, people, when they release music, especially if your friends and other people you care about know about it, I think they want you to do well. I, I really do. I would say that, you know, your wife, your kids, and then all your closest friends, and then plus the people who follow you on TikTok and Twitter, we all want you to do well. So when you yeah. go to release this, it's like, Hey, fucking you know rock and roll dude like yeah. when i see people sharing shit about my shows or about my music i'm like that, that's fucking awesome man and like yeah there's a degree of like hey people are kissing your ass but then at the same time i i sincerely mean it dude i i was listening to your album all throughout like the last week mixed in with a bunch of other heavier stuff because i'm like all right i, I, I want to get more familiar with this because i really really like it man, so um i yeah, really dude, appreciate people, that yeah, dude, of course. But people are looking for you to do well. So like when it comes to your next project or even if you want to kind of blow the dust off those, um, I guarantee you there's a market for it and people are going to dig it. And, you know, it may not be like millions of people right away, but uh, people want you to do well. At least that's the way I always look at it. And I, I, I kind of get in the same deal where when I'm playing shows, I'm like, man, I just I don't know. I, I mean, I, th- I think that comes from the fact that we know that there's going to be some kind of like naysayer out there. Like there's going to be some asshole out there who's going to be like, I didn't like it. I think it sucks, you know? Yeah. And so you like hyper fixate on that person, you know, like that sort of mm-hmm. fictional person. And, and like you become like afraid of them, you know? And I I've, I've had nothing but, but like good feedback about the album and stuff. And like from, from, from people that I know would tell me that, if it really did suck, they would, they would be honest with me. They'd be like, you can't, you can't put this out there, you know? And so it's like, so hearing good feedback from people like that uh, has been really awesome, you know? And I think I've only heard one negative comment about any of it. And there was, there was sort of like a promo that I put up on TikTok with a, uh, like a minute clip from one of the songs. And it was, it was playing over a bunch of like uh, Iraq war footage and stuff like that. And, uh, and one guy was just like, I don't like his voice. <laughs> and I was just like, ah, well, fuck that guy. <laughs> well, that's the right attitude to have. Yeah. Um, so you started writing the album in 2020, correct? Now, yeah. I-, I have to ask if this was after March or before March. Uh, Shoot, this was it was before. No way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It was it, it was. It, the the album itself it has little or nothing to do with like the pandemic you know mm-hmm. 
Um, because I, because what I wanted to do is this was sort of this, this whole, the, the, the seed of this whole album came from whenever I read anatomy of the state by Murray Rothbard. And that's what I wanted to kind of convey in terms of music is like, how can I, how can I do the same thing for other people that anatomy of the state did for me, you know, because Mm -hmm. that was a life changing essay, you know, that, that was when I was kind of like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, anarchy is cool and stuff like that. Or I'm a libertarian. Like it was all, it was all very like just sort of nebulous and not, taken all that seriously and then i read anatomy of the state i was like oh shit like that like this is this is real like that had like a profound impact on like my beliefs and and uh, like that that was a turning point in my life was reading that essay and so i kind of wanted to do the same thing or at the very least try to emulate that uh in the form of music um so that way we can have so that way libertarians can have art you know and I, I'm not trying to sound like super fucking pretentious or like, oh, look at me or anything like that. But it's like, man, we need it. We need it really bad. And the left has always had a stranglehold on art in the United States. <clears throat> and the right is trying to catch up, but they are not doing all that great. You know, they're, they're, they're doing pretty bad. Yeah. And it's like the, the best that they come up with is like Tom McDonald. And I love Tom McDonald, but goddamn, every goddamn song sounds the same. Mm-hmm. Every single one has the exact same structure. And so it's like th- this, this is, it's like a gimmick, you know, and it's nothing against Tom McDonald. Like that's how he writes his music. Plus you're only, you're only seeing like the singles that he releases, not the albums. Like anyway, th- th- those are, those are my criticisms of him, but it's like, if, th- if that's the best that you can do, like we, we gotta be doing more, you know, mm-hmm. there has to be like a hardcore band out there or like a, a fucking power violence band out there. Who's talking about Liberty you know, mm-hmm. or, or like a hard rock band like yours or, or whatever fucking genre monopoly on violence would fit in. I don't know, mm-hmm. but like we, like we all have, like, if you have the ability to play guitar, if you have the ability to play a fucking banjo and you're a libertarian, like do something with that. If you can paint, like paint Liberty pictures, write Liberty songs. Mm-hmm. If you're an, like, if you can, if you can write, uh, uh, like intellectual type, uh, more academic, academia type stuff like do that for like for liberty we we need to be creating culture you know we need to be creating art and like mm-hmm. because if we don't like if, if we're just going to completely ignore that facet of of our american culture like we're not going to go anywhere you know you can yeah. only be so based before people are like yeah sure you're hitting all you're saying all the right things but like it's not cool Mm-hmm. You know yeah, like I mean? you could easily be the anarchist screaming from the basement, and like people will be like, "Yeah, I agree with him," but like I don't know, I just like don't care about that guy. Like, yeah. and kind of back towards the beginning of the show, I admire about you that you have a lot of irons in the fire, and that's kind of why I try to do the same thing. Um, just when you have people that are just one dimensional, to me that's boring. Like I, I know yeah. what you're about, and you kind of already know what's going to come next, right? Like with people like us, I feel not to pat ourselves on the back, although no, we're, it, we're amazing. It. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Um, you know, we're, we're putting something forth into the world. And not only that, it also says that you're willing to take the hit, right? You're willing yeah. to put it out there and completely fuck up. Mm-hmm. But 
there's enough support and people have bought into us as individuals to trust that what we're putting out there is going to be decent because they're like, Hey, you know, we know they're not complete total slouches. We know they're not pieces of shit. Well, maybe me, but um, (laughs) whatever they do, it's going to be worth, it's going to be at least wait till they find my name on the Epstein logs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what they say? You got to take it down from the uh, inside out. (laughs) Right. We'll go with that. (laughs) <laughs> so um who, what was like some of the music that you were listening to around the time you really decided to start writing this album because like i said i hear a lot of heavier influences but um I, I'm, I'm sure you probably get the same thing where maybe you'll even hear like a pop song or something like that and that just like starts firing off light bulbs in your head yeah um shoot like let's see man it was such a long time that i was writing it that there was so much stuff i was listening to and that in that span of time. Um, but it's like, let's see, I, I'm, I'm a huge under oath and Norma Jean fan. Uh, right. Like those, like those are my top two favorite bands easily, sure. you know? Um, and so there's, there's definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of influence in the album from, from those two bands. Um, also a huge fan of the chariot. I don't know if you can see that right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there, there's a little bit of that, especially in the song, the sound of raw meat. Like that was, that was my, like the chariot song. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see, you know, I was listening to a ton of Mastodon when I was mm-hmm. recording this a ton. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's uh that's interesting because they're like, I don't want to say progressive, but like they're, very unique like you know Mm -hmm. mastodon when you hear mastodon especially because they have three different singers in that band all of which have very very distinct voices like you know when it's troy singing because he has like that thunderous bellow bran has this real high melodic voice and then um uh bran or no not bran um brent I, mm-hmm. I might have that ass backwards, but yeah, Brent has like this almost Yarl, right? Yeah. Y- you know, the Yarl. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But yeah, they, they're, they're like a very, very unique band. And like, especially over the course of their career, it's really, really interesting to listen to like the earlier heavier shit. And like, still I'll get chills to the bone every time I listen to crystal skull and Troy just goes into like that bridge part. Just it's, yeah. Oh, and uh yeah, just and then like later on, you get into more of the melodic stuff once more around the sun or um, the hunter, which I mean, I like everything they did, but it's mm-hmm. just different from album to album, to album, which is actually very, very um, just cool to see a band grow as much as they have. Oh, yeah. And, and like they they definitely evolve like you, you can play Hushed and Grim next mm-hmm. to remission and think that they're two totally different bands oh yeah if you didn't know you know but like if you start with remission and go all the way to hushed and grim like every jump makes sense and it's not tacky Mm -hmm. and it's not selling out like and like each jump that they make is equally as good as the last one you know Mm -hmm. and like i that that's something like that's a once in a generation band that's Mm -hmm. that good all original members too yeah it's very linear yeah yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, one other band that I kind of think of in, in this respect, and I may get knocked for this a little bit, but like um, Disturbed, a lot of people don't like them, but like mm-hmm. I found that their songwriting was always really good. And for like a mainstream kind of band, if you actually learn and like look at the some of the stuff that all those guys play, they're 
pretty fucking talented. Like Dave Donegan's yeah. a fucking killer guitar player. Uh, mm-hmm. Mike Wengren is their drummer. Dude's fucking really good. Uh, and you know David Dryman, yeah, he's kind of like goofy, and you know everyone makes fun of the ooh but like. He, you know disturbed when you hear disturbed and that's yeah. something that i like about bands is that like th- that distinct noise but then again i also say like with king diamond just because you're unique doesn't necessarily mean you're good like i i i hate king diamond <laughs> yeah yeah um i i i could never get into disturbed i respect disturbed because yeah. you're right they they are amazing musicians but mm. i just it's just not my style you know yeah so. Yeah, I got you. Um, so it, what um were there any like Christian metal bands you got into? Because I recently had a real big kick with uh for today, and mm-hmm. I've always, always loved War of Ages, although I don't think they're necessarily like very explicitly Christian. They were more early on, but um you could consider them Christian metal, and I just I love everything they put out, but they're more like metalcore i don't want right. to say deathcore but definitely like more metalcore ish right right on um well let's see under oath used to be a christian band mm-hmm. um norma jean i know that Corey, their lead singer is still a professing christian but and they're still on solid state records um but i i don't know if they would still consider themselves a christian band it might be sure. one of those like well, you know we're a band and some of us are christians you know mm-hmm. type thing but i mean both of those bands were bands that I grew up with. You know, I, I've been listening to Norm Jean and Undero since I was like 14, you know, and uh, shit, which is 20, oh, yeah, 20 years. Um, and so uh, those are those are probably out of the Christian metal scene. I, I would say those are probably the two best that came out. But then there's also like, like the, the Christian scene had had there was a really good scene like between mm-hmm. like 2000, like 2002 and 2009, like mm-hmm. the, the Christian sort of heavy scene was exploding, you know, and there's yeah. a lot of good music coming out of it. Showbread was another one of those bands where um, they, they were like a sort of a post hardcore like punk band and uh, like they they're st- I think they're still I think they're still a thing. They're like they're incredible, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, their first like two or three albums are just nightmares, you know, mm-hmm. just amazing. And uh, and yeah, they were they were all like they started as like a worship band, mm-hmm. you know, but they got kicked out by their church because, you know, like they were making praise and worship songs that were like too heavy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, it, it's kind of funny because I used to have coworkers who would uh, say that this stuff's like the devil's music. I'm like, you realize some of these people are like devout Christians and they're writing songs about their love of Christ. And like, yeah. I'm an agnostic, but it's really weird because like, like I said, for today and War of Ages, I've loved those bands. Like everything they did, I think is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and they're like very, very at least early on, they would have like full on prayers in their songs. And oh uh, yeah, I know for today when they would um, do live stuff, they would always talk about like how Jesus was on the cross and like people would say, "Oh, it's preachy," but I'm like, that's that's kind of cool because it's like their thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean the 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 Christian scene in and of itself was. I mean, it was, it was kind of goofy because if, if you had a Christian band that played a show and they like, didn't get preachy, like there was a, there was a subset of people in the crowd who would just get furious. And I used to be one of those people too. <laughs> I went and saw project 86 play with August Burns red and 
Oh, August Burns Red. That's an, that's another one that came out of the Christian scene that are just like amazingly good. You know, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I saw Project Eighty Six and and Andrew Stein, the lead singer. I saw him walking around the crowd. And I walked up to him. And I was like, Excuse me, sir. Uh, I didn't see. I didn't hear you say anything about uh, uh, Jesus or the cross or anything like that. And he goes, "Yeah, some people aren't here for that." Mm-hmm. You know, and it it took me years, but finally I was like, "Oh yeah, he's trying not to be like a douche." And plus, he's playing with all these other Christian bands. Somebody's going to say it. People don't want to be beat over the head with it. They just want to enjoy a show. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, I'm almost a little nervous um, going into the 2024 political season because I see all these people saying how everything is demons and people are just getting super religious again. I'm like, man, I know where this can go. And yeah. like, I, isn't that weird? Isn't it weird that we're seeing a resurgence of that? Yeah. Like that, that's been one of the most bizarre things to witness is like, I mean, it, it, especially around like the sort of the drag queen story hour stuff and like the, the trans thing, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I, I could care less about whatever is going on in the trans community, you know, like I believe they have a right to exist. I believe they have a right to express themselves however they want. My mm-hmm. personal beliefs about it are completely irrelevant, you yeah. know, but like, some of the things that I've heard from like Matt Walsh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm like, this is, this is like cult shit, you know, like yeah. you're, you're, you're talking like a cult member when you're talking about that you want sex changes to be outlawed and shit like that. And I'm like, oh, what, like what happened to, to the idea of like leaving people alone, like let them do what they want as long as they're not hurting somebody else. You know, mm-hmm. I like, I get having, I, I get having, you know, like a negative visceral, visceral reaction by people doing that with their kids, like getting their kids transitioned and stuff like that. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, those aren't your kids. You don't know what that family's like. You don't know what their upbringing was like. Let them fuck up their kids on their own. You just make sure that you do a good job with your kids, mm-hmm. you know? And like, that's, that's how, that's how I kind of think about, you know, like I, I'm, I'm very pro-life, but mm-hmm. I don't want the government involved with abortion. That would be a nightmare, right. you know? And so like, how, like, how do I fight against something that I think is like truly, truly evil, you know, like, like abortion. And I'm like, well, okay, well, I don't want the cops to get involved. I don't want any laws passed because, and and this is something I heard from Spike Cohen that changed my mind on this. He was like, uh, the war on terrorism produced more terrorism. The war on poverty produced more poverty. The more, the war on drugs has produced more drugs. What do you think the war on abortion would look like? And that just hit me like a freight train. And I was like, Ooh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like, how do I, how do I justify this? You know, I'm pro-life, but how do I justify like letting other people get away with something that I believe is murder? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to raise, I have three boys. I'm going to raise my boys to not sleep around with uh, crazy women who would get an abortion. I'm going to teach them that if they, if they fuck up because they are human and get a girl pregnant when they're in high school, then okay. You have a support system with me and your mother All right. You can finish high school. We will help take care of this child so you can go to college if you want to. And Mm -hmm. then like so that way you can you can be financially stable enough to take care of this child. And like Mm -hmm. there there will be support there. The worst thing I could possibly do as a parent is if one of my kids, you know, got a girl pregnant and be like, well, you can't live here anymore. That's a Mm -hmm. failure as a father, you know. And so it's like, what, what am I doing? Not only to protect my own children or teach my own children and help them grow into, into meaningful adults, but like, 
what about my grandchildren? Like how, what good is that going to do for this grandchild of mine? If I just kick his dad out of the house because he did something that I told him not to do, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't murder anybody. He didn't go and knock over a liquor store. Mm-hmm. He got a girl pregnant. That's what humans are eventually supposed to do. <laughs> you know, right. He just did it a little early. Yeah, actually that's a really, really good point. And um, there's somebody I follow on Twitter who kind of brings this up a lot about kind of like this intergenerational not poverty, but like kind of taking care of the generations to come. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the conservative messaging gets this loss and you could probably pretty tightly knit me in with conservatives and like a cultural aspect, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, there is something to like making sure your kids are well off and investing in your future off spring. And I understand like there's a fine line to walk, right? You don't want to hold their hand through their entire lives, but at the same time, you want to make sure that like they know you're there for them and you're going to take care of them. Mm-hmm. And that you also understand that the life that you and I are living right now, you know, your kids, my kids, and then our grandchildren, their standard of living is more than likely going to be worse than ours. I mean, that's a shitty fucking thing to accept, but yeah. just the way that the government's going and the world and all that stuff, um, they're likely not going to have the same standard of living as us. But, you know, obviously the goal with having a family is to kind of bring the needle a little bit more in a positive direction. I think that's right. the goal of any uh, successful family. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, especially with, I, okay, we're both libertarians. We like, we can talk about, you know, economics and the, you know, the federal reserve all day long until we die. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, like in terms of like, Will will our kids be better off with fiat currency than we are? Like probably not. They'll probably be worse off with fiat currency. So like, how do you how do you fight against that? You know, you fight against that by okay. Well, I'm going to teach my kids how to grow food. You know, I'm going to teach my kids how to hunt, which means I have to learn how to hunt because I don't know how. But like, that's something I want to learn how to do so that I can teach my kids so that let's say the worst libertarian apocalypse does happen and the financial or the 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 market completely collapses and the government collapses and it's like anarcho tyranny. You know, if my kids are able to live out in the woods, like, can I teach them how to survive? Like, can I like I, I should be teaching them how to how to like build a shelter if they're out in the woods, you know, I should be teaching them how to like cultivate crops and stuff like that, how to set a trap for a rabbit so that you can, you can cook it up and eat it yourself. Like these are, these are skills that are completely lost in, in our current society. And like, if the shit hits the fan, like we all kind of think it is, then those are going to be invaluable, you know, and my kids won't have to rely on fiat currency. So then are they going to be better off or worse than I am? I don't know. Cause they're going to have a lot more skills than I do right now. You know? Yeah. And obviously it's very, very hard to predict the future, but um, you know, I just like this anti-natalist sentiment just drives me absolutely nuts. Cause these people are saying, Oh, you're going to ruin the earth by having more kids. And I don't know. I just, I've always thought like you enjoy the gift of life. Therefore, if you want to have kids, you should absolutely pay it forward and then bring those beings to be as prosperous and as you know good as possible. So mm-hmm. that way they can share that gift with the world and hopefully do the same and continue to move the world in a more positive direction. And, you know, through your work ethic and through your beliefs, you raise them to be libertarians. And then we bring about a more liberty minded culture. 
because I think that's the only way that we can really move the whole liberty sphere and the ideas of liberty forward is through bringing, you know, passing this on through the generations. Like you could maybe vote for somebody who's more liberty minded, but like that's such a short term solution. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, Well, it's I mean, sort of you know, not to get too in the weeds with like libertarianism, but like the Mises caucus, their whole, their whole focus is local. You know, they, they put barely any focus on like Congress or Senate or the president, you know, like they're they're looking at races for the president, especially as like, this will be a good message board, but what's it, what's it actually going to change in the country? You know, it's not going to change anything. Even if Ron Paul had got, and this is something I'm stealing directly from Dave Smith, but even if Ron Paul got, got elected in 2008 or in 2012, like, he would have been shackled the entire time. You know, the federal reserve still would have existed. You know, the, the, the sort of checks and balances that are in place that are in, that are being controlled by, you know, not good politicians. Uh, you know, they're not going to let them destroy the status quo. Like we want, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it has to start local. It has to start in the village that you live in or the, or the, you know, the city that you live in your neighborhood, you know, like, your township, whatever um, that that's where it has to start because that's, that's where the, that's where the vast majority of the power is. Mm-hmm. It's in your local governments. It's not the federal government, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's really, it's kind of why I like the Mises caucus strategy. And even like for people who do like the GOP stuff and go run locally and try to get stuff done that way, no problems with that. Whatever you can do yeah. in your personal life to bring about more liberty for you and the people who mean the most to you, all about it, man. You know, go after it and uh, rock and roll. Yeah. Um, well, and actually, to, to add on to that, and I'm sorry, I've, I've cut you off. Like, no, you're good. <laughs> no, you're but like, fine. But like, I imagine what an election cycle would look like, or at least what the culture would look like if we went through a presidential election cycle with presidential races and congressional races and gubernatorial races, state Senate, like all these things where there's somebody on each one of these elections who's just screaming into a microphone about like Rothbardian values or, or, you know, like Misesian economics or, or the Austrian school of economics. Like somebody's just screaming about that. Like it's going to leave an impact on some people, you know? Yeah. Well, that was uh, what was really interesting about seeing as they call it the woodshed debate where uh, Shane Hazel took both the uh, candidates for governor to task. Um, just that was that amazing. <laughs> it's hard to ignore something like that. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was really cool. And you know, what? even uh, Chase Oliver, who's pretty goofy, um, all the clips I've seen of him at the debates. It was he, he stood his own and he yeah. actually represented libertarian values relatively well, at least in the small bits that I saw. I, I got to meet him in Reno and I, I was there representing the Mises caucus, you know, and he was there not <laughs> representing the Mises yeah. caucus, but man, I had several conversations with him and he is a good down to earth dude. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I think his big thing was like, you know, the messaging or something like that. But like, I mean, when he got down to brass tacks, like me and him were there for completely opposite reasons. You know, he was defending something. I was trying to take something over. I'm not obviously not just me, but like that was our that was our purposes there. And man, we stuff out. We stood outside, smoked a cigarette. Like he's a, he's a good dude. We just have we just have slightly different ideas. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And well, what's important is that you guys realize that you more than likely have kind of like the same end goals. 
but yeah. you know, you guys may just disagree on means um, within libertarian ideology. Well, um, he wasn't a fan of my get rid of all the gays plan. Um, I thought he was being a little sensitive about it, mm. but if yeah. we don't, there's, there's still going to be here. That's the, that's what he wasn't realizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I fully endorse getting rid of all the gays and then, uh, the, <laughs> the, the women who don't submit. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm perfectly good with that too. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> half the people in my house is, would be gone because <laughs> my wife never obeys me mm-hmm. and her gay uncle lives with us and he's like, we basically adopted him. He's like our fourth kid. You know, uh, yeah, if you move to Florida, then maybe uh, you could talk to rub elbows with like King DeSantis. And I know he'd be all about removing the gays. So <laughs> I don't know, though. Um, Andy, we've been shooting the shit for about an hour now. Um, this has been an awesome conversation. We'll definitely have to do it again sometime. And I look forward to uh, your next musical release. Um, go ahead and plug away and we'll uh, close her out, man. All right, man. Uh, yeah. If you if you want to see some of the, the political sketches I do, uh, you can follow me on TikTok at Andy Coons. That is K-O-O-N-S, just like you see on screen right here. Um, if you want to check out my music anywhere that you can stream music, look up the album God emperor and it's being released under the name monopoly on violence. Um, and yeah, just came out on the fifth, even though I thought it was going to be out on the second, but that's different story. Um, and yeah, I have gotten a lot of good feedback on it. So if you're into metal, check it out. I think you're going to like it. Mm-hmm. yeah well like i mentioned to you i sent it over to my band and uh they liked it so um you have some fans here in pittsburgh pennsylvania and oh, i'm sure yeah. you have plenty more all over the place so uh, yeah man if you got anything else we'll uh, wrap her up actually you know what i do i do have one more thing um and i i'm 100 sure you know this guy constantine davinsky uh was instrumental no pun intended in the creation of this album there were a lot of plugins and stuff that he helped me track down and find and without him, uh, it would not sound nearly the level that it does. And I'm not saying it's the best recorded piece of you know, music ever, but without him, it would have sounded like dog shit. So uh, as, as big of a shout out as I could possibly give, I want to give to Constantine. Thanks, brother. Yeah, he is a uh, awesome dude. He's been on the show before, and that was a while ago. But yeah, he's an awesome dude. So uh, nice, man. All right. Well, like I said, we'll definitely do it again. And um, I'm looking forward to your next musical release. So uh, yeah, make sure everybody, like I said at the top of the show, um, like, subscribe, and share. Go check out Andy's album. Um, you may hear a familiar voice on the last track. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it, it's absolutely fantastic. And I know I'm going to be listening to it uh, more than likely tomorrow. And if not tomorrow, then there's Air Friday. I listen to it on my way to and from work. And um, there's just a lot of cool stuff in there. And I just, the tracks are fucking killer. And if you're into heavy music like I am, then you're definitely going to like it. So, uh, yeah, man, thanks for coming on. Thanks for hanging out. And make sure we go check I your got shit. one more thing because I go. feel like a piece of shit for not saying it earlier. Dude, the your guest vocals on How Deep the Roots Go, which is the last track on the album, completely, like, utterly completed that song. It was amazing. Yeah. Like I, it was already one of, one of my favorite songs on the album, but dude, after you put your vocals in there, it just, it just pops that much. It just makes that, that ending of that song that much better. So thank you very much for doing that. Yeah, of course, man. Well, I'm absolutely honored I got to do it. And uh, kind of like you said um, during the show, that it's very important that we libertarians kind of put art out in the world. And uh, I'm just stoked to see anybody putting their voice out there and putting their music out there because, um, you know, it's definitely sorely needed. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm really looking forward to the next release. And I think you got to keep doing what you're doing, man, because it fucking kicks ass. All right. 
I got one more thing. I'm fucking with you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. Until next time, take care.